from the host that brought you to Coding Westworld. And Westworld the Recapables. Comes the Ringer Prestige TV podcast on Westworld. I'm Joanna Robinson. I'm Danny Heifetz. And I'm David Shoemaker. Welcome to Westworld Season 4 and the Prestige TV podcast feed, where we're going to break down every episode of Westworld Season 4. Every Monday, the day after the show comes out on the Prestige TV podcast feed. Wherever you get your podcasts, but get them on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. What if I told you you could get a big snack almost anywhere for less than five bucks? Let's talk 7-Eleven's $3 big meal deal with seven rewards. Big meal deal is a big bite hot dog and a large big gulp drink. And you won't find a better snack deal anywhere else. Here's what I put on my hot dog. Mustard. And that's it. That's it. I love a hot dog with mustard. Maybe if the chili, if I'm feeling it, if I'm feeling crazy, maybe a little chili, maybe a little nacho cheese, but I'm a hot dog and mustard guy. But if that sounds like your kind of bite, visit 7-Eleven, valid through 1725. 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, applicable on large big gulp only, participating U.S. stores only. See app for full terms. All rights reserved. David, I was at Target the other day. Oh, of course you were. What did you find there? Well, I was in the book section of Target. Oh, Always yeah, a nice place to buy a book. Mm-hmm. And I found a number of memoirs written by former Donald Trump officials. Oh, yeah, of course. And it struck me that this is an interesting exercise. Because on the one hand, if you were a former Donald Trump official, you want to get the Trump audience to buy your memoir but you probably also, if you had any kind of moment of conscience, uh, a moment where you said, absolutely not, we will not do this, you want the liberal audience to buy your memoir. One or the other, perhaps even both. We have to thread the needle there, yeah. Thread the needle. And I determined that this was the case because I looked at the title of these memoirs, which were wonderfully vague or stoic, in an attempt to attract the biggest possible audience, would you like to hear the title of some former Trump administration official memoirs? Yes, please. Uh, let's begin with Kellyanne Conway. Y'all remember Kellyanne Conway? Mm-hmm. Her memoir is titled, Here's the Deal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, could be, that could go either way, right? Look, here's the deal. Here's the way things really were. Could serve either audience. Uh, Here's another one from Mark Esper. He was the former defense secretary under Donald Trump. A sacred oath. (laughs) A sacred oath. Kind of sounds like a Tom Clancy thriller from our childhood. It does. But I think my favorite uh, was from William P. Barr. You'll remember William P. Barr was the attorney general. Oh, yeah. Under Donald Trump. Had kind of a late in the game Liz Cheney-like turnaround during the whole election crisis of 2021, William P. Barr's memoir is titled One Damn Thing After Another. (laughs) (laughs) 
Am I just imagining that there is no picking of sides in the titles of any of those memoirs? Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, if you're if you're in, if you're inclined to read the book um, as a Trump fan, I guess all those things just sort of get to the it might draw you in. I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's 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 tough. We could have a whole nother discussion about do you go with the posed photo for the cover of your administration memoir or do you go with the news photo that you got off Getty Images? Oh my gosh, yeah. Because we got William Barr here giving a press conference and kind of pointing his finger. But then we got the Kellyanne Conway obviously has taken a photo for the cover of her memoir. That strikes me as another. And Mark Esper, not even on the cover at all. Just a sacred oath. Now leave it to the reader to imagine what might be in there. Coming up on today's podcast, David, a handful of current and former NBA players have started putting out their own podcast, challenged TV people, and formed what some of them call the new media. How will the new media challenge the old media? Mm -hmm. Plus, how should beat writers celebrate the championship of a team they're covering? Steph Curry sounds off. And much more on the Press Box, a part of the Ringer podcast network hello media consumers brian curtis david shoemaker producer erica cervantes here david i had mark down here to talk to you about the nba's new media which was somewhat consecrated i guess when the warriors draymond green said to espn scott van pelt don't just lump me in with media baby it's the new media Now, the first question about the NBA new media is, what is the NBA's new media? I'm glad that we're talking about this. I'm glad that you're, you're going to answer this question. The first couple of times, when I heard you on Bill's podcast talking about this, well, the first couple of times I, I heard this, the framing of this conversation, I was so perplexed because I thought we already had new media. I thought you and I were part of a new media. We thought we were the new media. Yeah. But then you look up one day and you're part of the old media. God, it's just the, the circle of life. I rely a little bit on a really good piece Sean Keeley wrote last month for Awful Announcing, which I recommend everybody read because I agree with a lot of his conclusions there. The new media in the NBA consists of a group of NBA players and former players that includes Draymond Green, certainly, Mm -hmm. J.J. Redick, C.J. McCollum after his turn as an analyst during the postseason on ESPN. If we want to put Pat Beverly's analyst performance art on this list i guess we can i've seen richard jefferson identifying with the new media movement of nba um what these current and former athletes have said is we have our own podcasts our own self-created media outlets and we're going to use them as an alternative to the nba media you're used to by which they seem to mean we are going to use them as an alternative to stephen a smith yeah or people like Stephen A. who are slinging opinions about NBA players on TV. Sure. New media probably reached its apex mountain back in May when J.J. Redick went after Mad Dog Russo on first take. Here was Redick talking about Mad Dog's treatment of Draymond Green. A large segment of older fans who have followed the NBA for 60 years who are, this is not a political scenario or a race situation, who have followed Wilt and grew up as a Nick fan who loved Clyde and loved Reed yeah, but and I, loved I, the I Pearl. Yeah, I disagree with you on that. I don't think, I don't, I'm not saying it's a race situation. I'm saying that this, the, the fans you're talking about, they talk about athletes that way, like you just talked about an athlete. 
I think there's a lot. The I think people, there's the a people on Fox, segment. The people on Fox News talk about athletes that way. Well, that's I mean, that's I, my I, issue. And Fox News that's is, my issue. I, so I don't actually care about the fans that watched Bob Cousy play right. or watched Wilt play. I don't care. Right. I appreciate that I, they've been NBA fans that long. Right. But I don't appreciate the undertone. So, David, what do we make of new media? Oh, well, I think if you def- if you define it really, you know, like you just did, if you define it really sort of, exp- uh, you know, explicitly and narrowly, it's these, you know, current and former players who have a, you know, who have their own uh, brands and their own podcasts or whatever outlets um, who are also doing work for institutional, you know, media like ESPN. Um and the but but it's I think that I think that the key thing is to sort of having your own podcast is just one you know the primary example allows you to have a or at least the appearance of a sort of unvarnished unbiased voice right you're speaking from the heart you're speaking you, you know you're you're not responsible to anybody else um, and then when you go to uh, you know ESPN you go to you you go to get up to to do your stick, you know, you're, you're, it's a continuation of what you're doing on your own. Right. Um, but I think, you know, the big thing is that it's, it's a, it's a more, uh, you know, it's, it's a more precise, it's a more on the ground view of the sport. It's obviously it's a different level, a different tier of insiderdom, um, and knowledge and experience. And, you know, I think it's sort of, not exactly a protest movement, but it is a sort of statement movement, right? That like we can do this as well as you can do this. And well, and it feels. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go, no, go ahead. It feels like it's been building for a while. Mm-hmm. With we saw the Players Tribune and uninterrupted, and now this feels like a very natural outgrowth of the player empowerment era. Mm-hmm. We have more say in where we play. We have more say in who our teammates are. And now we have more of a say of how we're talked about on TV or in print and elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And I will say, at least in the group of people we mentioned, it's really nice to see the sports pundit class, especially the NBA pundit class, get some new faces. Oh, sure. Especially some people that are much closer to the sport, either Mm -hmm. playing right now or having just left the game like J.J. Redick. Because, you know, we get to think Charles Barkley can be wildly entertaining. But at certain point, everything he says has this tinge of, I used to play and it was this way, and now you guys are playing and it is this way. And it is nice to have the more recent sort of way of playing the game represented in free agency and everything else represented in the way people talk about basketball. So that's cool. Yeah. I'd also say that I'm sure for a lot of these guys, it's easy for us to say, just ignore what people on cable are saying about you. Mm -hmm. Just don't, don't even, don't even respond at all. But that's easy to say when people are talking about you all the time on television. Well, they're talking about you all the time on television and those clips are being recycled onto Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else. Right. I mean, and this is, as I think that you guys talked about on Bill's podcast, this is, this is the, um, media that they're exposed to, right? I think that we've had other Ringer podcasts talking about it too, but it's like when they're, when, if you're a basketball player and your friend or somebody says, oh my God, you hear what they're saying about you? They're talking about Stephen A. Smith or Skip Bayless or whoever, right? Um, 
It's a pretty narrow, I think, definition of media, although it's lumped in as a sort of, you know, broad brush as old media. But they're talking about, yeah, what people are saying about them on TV and specifically on these debate shows. And if you talk to beat writers in the NBA, they will tell you that all the time. Is that these guys, when they think of media, they often think of, here is what people are saying about me on television. Whereas somebody might be like, hi, I'm covering you for The Athletic. <laughs> I'm, not, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about you like that and would just like to talk to you about other things. Yeah. So maybe we can have a different kind of relationship than you and that person on TV. Sure. I mean, there is a sort of, I don't know if there's if this is a real chicken and the egg sort of thing, but there's there's also a big part of this, I think, that the new media you know, given that its roots are in podcasts, you talked about people like Richard Jefferson, like J.J. Reddick. Regardless of what you think about the merits, right, of the of, of new versus old, new media is winning the access battle, right? And they have been for a long time, mm-hmm. right? Like Richard Jefferson on his podcast, J.J. Reddick on his podcast, the list goes on, had a more impressive guest lineup in any given, you know, three month span than ESPN has over the course of a year, right? In terms of like depth, especially. True. And here's Luca. Here's yeah. all the big stars of the NBA. And uh and and to some extent, I mean that's that's part of the plat it's a platform issue, right? I mean, like, you know, Draymond's not going on TNT and bringing along with him a live one hour interview or anything like that. But um it is, but access is real. And it also, you know, it sort of draws a line. So like the, the, the most prominent voices on ESPN and Fox, you know, people like Stephen A. Smith aren't access journalists, or at least they aren't interviewers, right? I mean, not by and large, they're, they're opinion journalists. And it's a, there's a real distinction, you know, that's sort of, there, if, if, if ESPN is losing the access battle, well, they're making up for it by, by trying to wait, turn it into an opinion battle, trying to turn it into a, you know, a hot take battle and uh and one could understand why you would want to take exception to that as the norm well and that's a point that keely makes in his awful announcing piece and which i think is so interesting about this because you're right you have this whole thing over here which is like these are long textured conversations with nba players about the game with the biggest names in basketball but then you have these point where we are going in and we are either on Twitter or actually sitting across from Stephen A going to confront him on first take, confront the TV opinionators. And I think that's an interesting decision to make if you're one of these former players or current players. Because on the one hand, you can just be like, hey, I'm I'm Draymond and I'm going to record my podcast after a game, give you a longer press conference. I'm JJ Redick. I'm going to do my interviews. I'm not even acknowledged that that stuff exists out there because as soon to me, as you start interacting with the TV people, you become a character in their universe, whether you want to or not, Mm -hmm. or more of a character in their universe. And again, instead of pushing back on the way that this is the way you are talking about people in the NBA, and this is not, this is not cool. This is not what we want. To me, you almost get drawn in there a little bit. And it makes it seem more important. I mean, I was thinking about this today. Like if Stephen A or anybody, and again, I just keep singling him out, but anybody on TV, were just talking about an NBA player in a particular way. We've seen this happen. Is that influential? Do people at home start thinking about an NBA player that way? 
Or do they just look at the show and go, well, this is just, you know, a talk entertainment show on television. And he's got his thing about this particular player. I mean, I don't, I don't really know that it's that influential in the way the public thinks about these guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's right. And I think that's sort of the point, right? I mean, uh, again, I forgot which, which, which of our family of podcasts I was listening to. I think it was when Van and Waz were on Bill's podcast, but, but, but they, one of them made the point that there's, you know, the players have a feeling, I'm pretty sure this was Van that said it. The players have a feeling that when they, that when you see your name being brought up just for show over and over again, skip talking about LeBron or, you know, there's, there's numerous examples when it feels like that. It's just, you're a piece of this artificial construct. That's just there to get ratings kind of truth be damned. Right. It's easy to feel like you're being that, that you're being used. Right. I mean, your brand is being used, but also you as a person are being used. And I think that's sort of the point, right? Because I mean that to what you were saying, it doesn't, having my own podcast might not change the public perception of me, but that's partly because the noise coming from the other side is drowning everything else out or sort of setting the terms of engagement. And I think that, again, new media versus old media is really misleading. But if you define it down to, you know, the battle to reclaim our identities in a certain way, or the human, you know, or to, or to reclaim our humanity. I mean, that's it's it's a really understandable argument, and and you know maybe the quote unquote new media would be better suited to be more specific about that, you know, instead of make instead of like I said before, broad brushing it. But you know, I get it. I get what they're I get what they're doing. I get it too. I guess my question is: in the era where an NBA player has big social media channels a big following on Instagram, Mm -hmm. a large segment of people who are fans of theirs, who will, as we've seen come to their defense on Twitter (laughs) at a moment's notice is the guy on cable really that powerful a voice. I mean, are they really setting the terms of engagement as you put it and drowning everything else out? I don't know. I honestly don't know the answer that it might feel like that, Because that's just, again, like you said, that clip is the thing that's popping up in your timeline Mm -hmm. over and over again. That's the thing people are mentioning to you. But with your average sports fan, those shows don't, their audiences aren't very big. Yeah, but we've talked about before how it's part of the machine now, right? That like Stephen A. Smith says a thing that just becomes the subject of ESPN for the rest of the day. And um, to some extent, those those sort of, those whatever those takes become unavoidable both on terrestrial television and you know on the internet and everything else i also think that sure i mean they they the players might take them too personally might take such things or might internalize them more i mean to it to a outsized degree but that's human nature i mean sure we would all do that you know yeah just so we, how many reddit page that was all about all the people at the ringer i mean we would just completely tune that out, right? Nobody would read that shit. Everybody that's ever like had a platform of significance on Twitter has has very quickly come to the conclusion that you know when you when you look at your mentions, like one mean tweet will drown out whatever uplift you got from the thousand nice tweets that came before it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just the way we work, and um, yeah, it's it's I. I 
I don't think that, you know, the, the I mean, let's just say this, the platform of Skip Bayless is, is, you know, to the nth degree more significant than one, you know, Twitter egg saying something mean about you. I mean, you're going to, you're, it's, it's going to be meaningful. And, um, yeah, maybe, maybe if you didn't react, maybe if you decide to no sell it or whatever, then, then it would go away. But at the same time, it's, I mean, it's kind of hard to, kind of hard to make the case for that. I will gently push back on one thing, which is, and athletes are not unique in this, but I think a lot of the time they say, look, I'm going to tell you the real story. You're going to hear it directly from me. Mm -hmm. And therefore that is the real story. But we know when it's athletes or politicians or any public figure, what you hear directly from them does not necessarily mean it is the quote unquote real story. Mm -hmm. Even if they are 100% leveling with you, which we know human beings don't always do. We're not hearing the point of view of their teammates, of their coaches, mm -hmm. of the opposing players on the floor. Mm -hmm. And so I always, I always bristle a little bit. I saw Kareem Abdul-Jabbar do this when winning time came out. He wrote this incredibly nuanced Substack piece about, you know, <laughs> journalists having the right. And at the end, he said, if you want the real story about the Lakers, watch the two docs from Magic Johnson and Jeannie Buss. <laughs> now you're going to forgive me for saying, I don't think no, that that's going to be the real story of the Lakers is the one that Magic no. Johnson produced. No. Just because it's Magic Johnson. No. So but, real is an interesting word or truth or whatever that is. Okay. It's a point of view. To me, it's a really important point of view. It's certainly an interesting one. I thought the Draymond thing was wildly interesting during the finals. That was a really interesting experiment. But I think I always sort of put the brakes on a little bit when we're talking about what is what is the real story here versus what you're reading, hearing, seeing, et cetera. Yeah, but think about it. I mean, you're, you're right. But think about how much your, your you know, memories your your feelings about sports the past is driven by memoirs as opposed to like you know academic histories you know i mean certainly there are like there are his there are journalists there, there are books by journalists and by historians that are very significant but like you know uh, there are definitely memoirs that stand out as like the quintessential works of a period of time the, the, the defining works that that are memoirs that are wholly subjective and there's a deeper there's a, just a different sort of truth involved in those you know i mean it's uh when you, i mean the other thing besides the access battle when you look at all these player podcasts that they're winning is they're winning the war of anecdotes right i mean like all of your favorite <laughs> stories about about you know the golden state warriors probably from the past six months probably came from draymond green's secondhand account you know, I mean, it's 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 not going to be the things that people get in the scrum anymore. And that's those are those are the stories that used to sort of like, I think, have a bigger force in driving our narratives, driving our perception of players and teams and stuff like that. And now we get all that stuff from, you know, people just like and players offhandedly spilling dirt to JJ or whoever on a podcast. I do think there are limits to this, and the limit is that there aren't going to be that many, especially current athletes who really want to do this full-time, who want to mm -hmm. put the muscle into doing one of it. It's like, it's one thing, it's like, I'm going to occasionally tweet. It's another yeah. thing of like, I'm going to really put out podcasts, video thing, whatever it is, regularly enough that it will become like something that can be used as a second screen. 
Yeah. Well, the, you know, they, what's the old saying about writing a book? It's like for every million people that say they're going to write a book, only one starts. And for every million people that start writing a book, only one finishes or whatever. I mean, that it's working at the ringer. I could reel off off the top of my head, 10 or 12 names of professional athletes that we have been in discussions with for starting a podcast <laughs> that never came to fruition. And you can look down, not the ringer specific, but look, just look, look through the past five years of athlete podcasts, the ones that didn't last very long or didn't, you know, didn't. Ha I mean, some of it's pretty straightforward. So it's like I ran through my contact list. I ran through the Rolodex. And now, like, what are we? I, I guess I'm going to take a two year break or something. Um, and some of them are more just your, like what you're saying. It's like it takes a lot of sort of drive and constitution to do something that's going to pay you a fraction of what, you know, playing a couple of games of basketball will, will pay you. And you're right. I, I mean, it's the, 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 the pieces of the new media that will stand the test of time are sort of impossible to predict, but presumably it's going to be a few, just a fraction of, of the whole. All right, David, time for the overworked Twitter joke of the week, where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod, where they are always gratefully received. This week, we considered tweets about USC and UCLA leaving for the Big Ten that were combined <laughs> with Kevin Durant wanting to leave the Nets. A lot of those jokes out in the world. But this week's runaway winner, David, any tweet parroting Brian Windhorst's soliloquy about the Utah Jazz? Can we hear just a small bit of Brian Windhorst uh, freestyling about what the Utah Jazz were up to in NBA free agency? defensive shooter to Brooklyn for a future first round draft pick. And so you're going, well, what do you care about Royce O'Neal? Why does that matter? Why would the Jazz do that? Why would the Jazz, who have two stars on their roster, mm -hmm. take a player who's one of their starters and best defensive players and trade him in a salary dumping move? Why would they do that? To open what? up space to try to land Kevin? No. Part of a three-team trade? You say, why did Quinn Snyder walk away from that job? Okay. <laughs> yeah, plus the hand gestures, mm -hmm. which have already been immortalized on Twitter. Did you get the feeling of like a, a mystery novel where in the, it's the last chapter and the detective is solving the case out loud, <laughs> but it's kind of an old school one, like Hercule Poirot. Yeah, and like the great Poirot tales, you might have figured out the answer by the end. Although Agatha Christie, <laughs> it's usually you know it's usually several degrees away from having you know you're you're not you're not entirely there. There's always like 15 more moving parts. But a lot of those old mysteries, you figured it out. But if it's a well written piece, when the when the when the detective starts putting it together, you doubt everything that you you, you doubt all your presumptions, right? As the as the the un, as the uh, the the breakdown unfolds you're just like is this so much bigger than i thought it was is this so much <laughs> is this so much more mind-blowing than i thought it was and then you have to like check hoops hype two days later to find out that like no he was just implying that the butler did it you know <laughs> uh, but yeah it, i mean what a what a performance what a perf i mean i don't i don't know what the I know a lot of people made a lot of jokes comparing it to other things. I don't know what the president would possibly be, what the what the comparison would possibly be on ESPN. I mean, there's certainly like, you know, news talk people that could just take 
a nugget and just drag it out for 45 minutes and you're just like on the edge of your seat because about on some subject you hadn't thought about previously. But man, what a performance that was. And by the way, we need more of that. I want more. I want more of my talk sports segments to end with just an open question and stunned silence. (laughs) (laughs) A friend, Kirk A. Beto points out that it really was the classic. I'm not reporting this, but Mm -hmm. it was a, it was a drawn out version of those early Woj uh, uh, draft tweets where you had to say a thing besides, you know, the Hornets are picking LaMelo ball, you know, it'd have to be like the Hornets have, you know, have, lasered warmth, in have, on. have yeah have warmth in their heart for the for Lamelo ball um <laughs> yeah it was like it was it was artistry in avoiding saying a thing that he felt or knew to be true and by the way the best one of the cool things about it was just people like now like going back through the recent windhorse archives about some of the other predictions he'd made offhandedly or or sort of surreptitiously um that bore that that turned out to be true uh, or correct, I guess. Um, yeah, there to 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 have like a five minute spiel where you are not reporting, reporting, not reporting, and having everybody on the edge of their seats is just wow. I did not know that he had it in him. That is that incredible stuff. Rosilla pointed out, I think it was on Bill's pod that a very interesting feature of this was this was on first take. And somehow Stephen A. Smith was not in on first take during NBA free agency, <laughs> which you'd figure would not be the vacation week. And in fact, if you noticed, he got hustled onto television when Kevin Durant <laughs> oh, right. announced that he wanted to be traded and he was wearing what looked like a flannel shirt. Mm-hmm. Now we got to get Stephen A. out of the, he's in a cabin in the woods. We got to get him out here. We got to get him to talk about Kevin Durant. So Windhorse just had this. Just he had all the room in the world he needed mm-hmm. to just go with that. And you point out like it had you doubting everything you think. The other people on set did not know where it was going. Like you mean Kevin Durant's going to Utah? Like, no. Yes. <laughs> no. The the few times where the other or the other people there tried to answer the question, you know, as it's just like, why do you think they would do and there were and there was a silence silence, and they would just be like, Oh, do you mean Kevin Durant's going to you? And they're like, no. No, you know, and it was just sort of, it kept circling. It kept like the, the circle got wider and wider. I don't know. It, it was, it was just great TV. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road with available H track, all wheel drive and three row seating. My whole family can head deep into the wild, conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, 
tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Two more quick ones for you, David, before we get out of here today. Um, One is we like to talk about, David, when celebrities give an interview. And the person who got the interview in them always says, never says, I talked to them. They say that the celebrity opened up. (laughs) They come up with a word. Well, this is listener Eric uh, sent in a headline from something called Canada News, which reads, Steph Curry sounds off on former teammates signing with Lakers. He sounds (laughs) off. Now, Steph Curry doesn't seem like someone who's going to sound off in the sense of being mad at a former teammate for signing elsewhere, especially a teammate that probably wasn't exactly welcomed back in Golden State. And it turns out the teammate was free agent forward Juan Toscano Anderson. (laughs) And here was Steph Curry sounding off, always a champ and always doing it for Oakland. Good luck, my guy Juan T. (laughs) (laughs) Sounding off. I absolutely love it. We also had a very funny moment from the AP this weekend. The hot dog eating contest was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Always gets a good run on Twitter. Um, this came across from the Twitter account AP Entertainment a couple of <laughs> days ago. The AP has deleted a tweet about Nathan's hot dog eating contest. The video was deleted because it did not meet editorial standards. <laughs> but as far as I could tell... And if a listener has the answer, please send it to me. I could not tell what the video was and why it did not meet AP editorial standards. I read so many comment threads trying to figure out what the original was and was momentarily duped by so many gag tweets, you know, that people were throwing in there. I have no idea either. But it's just like nobody, clearly nobody cared enough to notice it in real time. So the... But it just made the story so much bigger. Like, we, there is definitely going to be a piece about that tweet. There's going to be an oral history of the tweet that no one saw or a, a look back at it or something because people are hungry, no pun intended, to know what happened there. There's a whole history of AP deleted tweets. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the absolute best. It came last year, and this is the tweet. It's from AP Planner, which helps news organizations plan their upcoming coverage. AP Planner. Quote, tomorrow, 20th anniversary of Nickelback releasing album Silver Side Up. Do you want to guess why that was deleted? Why? It was also the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Oh, my God. Yeah. So AP decided maybe we shouldn't be highlighting the 20th anniversary of the Nickelback album. (laughs) Deleted the tweet. One last one for you, David. Oh, it's so bad. The Colorado Avalanche won the Stanley Cup last Sunday. And Mike Chambers, who covers the team for the Denver Post, tweeted a photo of himself with a cigar in his mouth holding the Stanley Cup over his head. 
He tweeted, <laughs> probably the most memorable experience of my career, hashtag Stanley Cup. What do we think about beat writers celebrating with the Stanley Cup after the team they're covering wins it? I mean, I think my formal answer is just like as a wrestling writer, I, I'm totally didn't into, <laughs> totally into it. I think that's you your would be holding lap. up the belt backstage if the wrestler you had been covering had won the title that night. You see, no no issue with that at all. Well, yes. Listen, I can see an issue with seeming to be biased to that degree. I guess if you wanted to fi- take exception to that, although I'm not sure that I would, re- I would really be upset if I saw a sports journalist doing that. If it's a, if it's an issue of bias, okay. But if it's an issue of fandom, if somebody was just like, "Hey, like, you know, David, get in the ring and grab the belt. We're gonna we'll take pictures of you to send home," I'd be just like, "Yeah, heck yeah!" Like I'm the, like I get to pretend I'm the champion. I get to be part of the celebrate. You only get to hoist the Stanley Cup when you're you know out there as part of the victory parade, right? Just take it as a, as a as a lifelong hockey fan. Wouldn't you want to just see what that felt like? You hit on exactly the questions I wanted to ask you, which is, okay, are we mad at this guy for taking the picture of him holding the Stanley Cup? holding the Stanley cup above his head, or are we mad at him tweeting out the picture of him holding the Stanley cup? <laughs> Cause there's probably a difference right between, Hey, get over there and hold it up. And you take a picture and I send it to my buddies from college and my mom and my dad versus posting it on Twitter. And I am celebrating with the Stanley cup. Um, there is a difference again. I'm not sure that it really bothers me one way or the other. Uh, but oof. I mean, yeah, there's a there's a distinction there. I mean, why not? I, I just people live on Twitter to such a degree that is there really a setting aside ju- journalistic n- newsroom bylaws to most human beings? Is there a difference between like sending a photo to a group chat and putting it on Twitter? I mean, most people use that's what social media is for to dissemin- disseminate pictures of yourself and your kids and stuff. Here's the thing about this. I would not do this personally. Well, you don't like hockey that much. No, and I don't know what the equivalent would be. Like I'm, I'm holding up Kirk Herbstreet Sports Emmy over my head. <laughs> yeah, Yay, we did it. I wouldn't do something like this. But you know me, I always, I hate when somebody says, "Well, this is a really bad look," because mm-hmm. I'm always like, "No, you're saying bad look, but it sounds like you're just avoiding saying whether it's bad or not." Mm-hmm. And in the case of this guy, surely what's important is whether his hockey coverage in the Denver post is fair, smart, level-headed, appropriately skeptical, holds mm-hmm. a team to account when they need to be held to account. And when I see a lot of national people dinging this tweet, I'm like, have you read this guy's coverage? Yeah. Cause it's one thing to say, Hey, this guy did a bad job on the beat. And now this culminates with him holding up the Stanley cup and celebrating. Oh, yeah. He was such a Homer. He gave, you know, he, he, he was, he was, you know, so in the bag for this team that they're rewarding him by giving him this opportunity. He's basically state run media, but like I that, w- that would be the argument. Right. And I sort, but I sort of doubt anybody, at least the people I saw have read much of his coverage of any of his coverage. Mm-hmm. So then I get to thinking, well, we've kind of decided as a collectively as a sports media that it's okay to be a fan. Mm-hmm. But do we draw a line between it's okay for Bill to be a fan of the Celtics Mina Kimes to be a fan of the Seahawks, but if you're the beat writer covering the team, that's where the line is drawn, and you don't get to be a fan if you're in that position, even if your journalism is fair, hard-headed, et cetera, et cetera. Well, 
that is a really interesting question. I think that what we've seen time and time again is that being a beat writer kind of, you know, hammers the fan out of you, right? I mean, the, the more time that you spend on a certain team, on a certain beat, even on a certain subject more broadly, the less of a sort of traditional fan or, you know, the less it's harder to be just a homer in the way you were before you started the job. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd be like aghast if somebody decided to defiantly draw the line there. That is a place to draw the line, right? I mean, it's, it's a, it's pretty, you know, Bill can be a Celtics fan kind of covering sports in a national way in the same way that like, you know, you wouldn't be mad if like your, your nightly news anchor was a Celtics fan or something like that, but, um, a vocal Celtics fan, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it does seem a little bit arbitrary though. Cause what, then if, so what if you get, pre like if you're, if you're the beat writer for the avalanche or something like that, and then you just get promoted, you know, then you get a new job where you're like covering national sports. Are you allowed to reclaim your fandom at that point? You're allowed to like open up about being a fan of the team. Like it's, you can have a big article. Brian Curtis comes clean. Brian Curtis opens up about <laughs> Cowboys fandom. That I was a fan all along, or I, I, but I suppressed it. it. That's what's I, I, so arbitrary to me about this. Yeah. Like I, I said, my, my knee-jerk reaction here is to say, I wouldn't do this, and I don't think I would do something like this. I don't believe in that kind of stuff. But when I actually have to explain, mm -hmm. and by the way, I believe Mike Chambers does not think of himself as a fan. I think he said, look, it was just a moment. We put it up. I held up the thing, whatever. You can look at my journalism. I'm not imputing anything to him, but I'm just saying, when I have to explain why you shouldn't do that, I don't know that I have a great explanation other than this bad look appearance, appearance of impropriety, thing, which to me is not much of an explanation for anything. I'm going to be honest. I just find it hard to imagine that anybody, and I'm, I'll make this about you only because you're the one I'm talking to. I find it hard to imagine that if you were writing a piece about the Dallas Cowboys and their march to the Super Bowl next season, and you find yourself in the locker room after the win and Dak Prescott shakes up a bottle of champagne and hands it to you and says, take a, take a, you know, take a shot with it, Curtis. And just like, <laughs> as they're spraying champagne all over everybody, I find it hard to imagine that you or any other human being would be just like, that would be inappropriate here. I'm just going to put this bottle of champagne on the ground. So I actually don't think I would do that. <laughs> You'd and be the too reason I wouldn't do it is, be, yeah, I would be embarrassed. And I feel like it's not, I didn't win. It's like the reason I don't call teams we, it's not such a moral thing. It's like, I'm just not a member of the Cowboys. I didn't do yeah. it. I'm excited when the Cowboys win. It's awesome, but it's not me. I didn't throw any touchdown passes. So I, I don't think I would do that. No. I think it would be tempting, <laughs> but I don't think I would do that. All right, it's time for David Shoebaker Guesses the Strain Pun Headline. All right, let's do it. Thursday's headline about Charlie Rose's ill-fated comeback attempt was Will the world accept this rose? Today's headline comes from Peaky Blenders. It's a tweet, uh, but it's a great one, David. The Minnesota Timberwolves made a big bet in trading multiple first-round picks and five players to the Utah Jazz for big man Rudy Gobert. Big swing. Big bet on Rudy Gobert. What was oh, the athletic strain pun tweet? I definitely have this. Is it go bear or go home? I gave you too many hints, didn't I? Yeah, it was something about the big swing. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I got it. Somebody on that Reddit page we never read say, I'm convinced Shoemaker sees the headlines before he guesses them. David never sees the headlines. No. David gets a few hints because this is really hard 
to guess. And this. The, yeah, yeah, I would actually be too ashamed of Brian doesn't give them to me at a time, and I would be too afraid of him like like noticing if it looked like I might be typing something during one of these sessions. Well, well, I was, you know, even if I was like trying to remember a word in my search, I would be too embarrassed of him th seeing that and thinking less of me and holding it inside. <laughs> yeah, that's like Dak Prescott handing in the champagne. Just, oh, know. I would, I would take that champagne bottle in a second. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production Magic by Erica Cervantes coming later this week of the podcast. A very cool interview with Larry Merchant. I've been wanting to do a great sports writer series here on the press box. I kind of want to call it the back page. See, quote unquote, real news goes on the front page, but on a tabloid, the sports news goes on the back page. And Larry Merchant seemed like the best way to start it. He is known to a generation as a boxing commentator on HBO for going toe to toe with Floyd Mayweather back in 2012. But before that, he was an absolutely fantastic sports columnist at the New York Post. And before that, at the Philadelphia Daily News, where he hired one of the greatest sports staffs of all time. So coming later this week, a conversation with Larry Merchant.